Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but managing your weight needs a long-term solution. And that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long-term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Good, y'all, and welcome to In the Deep, a Deep League Focus Fantasy Baseball Podcast, part of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined here once again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzy Weber. Schwebzy, how you doing this week, buddy? This is weird. I don't like change where we are recording in the while it's still light outside. Yeah, there's like natural like, daylight like raking across my face on the webcam right now. It's a different look for me. We're, I don't we're know not nice, like we're not delirious. Yeah, I don't have like the nice ring lighting, which in this case for me, I'm showing it to Schwebzy, is just like a crappy lamp that I have sitting on top of my computer desk. Um, Usually, like our our particular brand of chaos is fueled by you know overtiredness, and now we don't get that, and you guys at home don't get that. I don't know what this episode will bring. I don't. This this might just be a, a this might just be analysis. Ew. No, it's not going to be that. We're going to be much sharper. We have. We have all that energy that comes with all the sleep we definitely get. N- never sharper, just I'm... slightly less, just slightly less dumb. Yeah, you're getting me at my like fully caffeinated. Usually, you get me at my delirious and super tired, and I don't want to drink caffeine because I have to immediately edit and then go to bed after I'm done with the episode. But now it's early. I got my coffee yeah. in hand. And you're getting vibe, me for sure. You're getting me mid afternoon monster as opposed to you know ten hours after it. The absolute dregs of the day from both of us. It's great. Love it. Cheers. Uh, cheers to that. Both of us are taking a sip now, real quick. Uh, yeah, so this is our final preseason preview episode for positions. Uh, we're going to be covering both catchers and relievers. Uh, catchers is a hellscape, I think, to put it kindly. So I think we'll probably actually end up spending a little bit less time on those than we do on relievers. I think there's like interesting arms out there, depending on the the depth of your league. There's lots of cool relievers to look at. So spend a bit more time on that. Uh, Schwebzy, do we want to lead it off with some recent news just to kind of kick off the episode? Yeah, unfortunately, there have been some injuries lately that are, you know, like league shaking because. Yes. So, well. So Reese Hoskins tore his ACL. Yes, he did. That means Derek Hall, who was previously just a deep league flyer. uh, I I tweeted this yesterday. I think he suddenly becomes like a top 20 first baseman. Yeah, I'm looking right now just to see where his ADP is at. I mean, his his ADP... 630 was his ADP since the beginning of the month. I mean, that's going to shoot up. He, it looks like, was picked at pick 251 which I assume is probably a very recent draft. Um, yeah, it's yeah, not ADP going to be quite shoot where, up. it's not going to be quite where Reese Hoskins ADP was, but it's oh, no. going to be like, it's not going to be an in the deep ADP. Yeah. So this is the thing too with Hall is that he is 
depending on what league you're in, I don't know what his eligibilities are. I know that in NFBC, he is only util eligible right now. He has to play enough games at first to gain that first base eligibility. So that's worth noting, obviously. Um, and I think that's probably why the price is as low as it is, I would expect him. Because, I mean, in limited opportunities, he's performed well in the past. Um, and I think if he had that first base eligibility, you would see him going like probably like 15, 20 picks earlier than like that 250 pick. Potentially, uh, people would probably reach for him there, considering the opportunity that he's going to get. Um, but yeah, depending on the eligibility in your league, you're going to want to take a look at him at a corner and field spot, first base. Um, but yeah. Derek Hall had a 134 plate appearance stretch last year, basically the, the when he was starting, mostly at DH. Yeah. He, went, he hit 266 with nine home runs in 134 plate appearances. Yeah, so just extrapolate that out in theory. Like yeah, we're not saying you know, that. Ca- casual forty home run season, easy. That's 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 my prediction. Forty home runs for Derek Hall. Let's move he's on. Just, no, he's just a better he, Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, yeah. No, he also struck out a ton. He also walked very little. So he's not a perfect hitter, but he is our favorite archetype of player in that he is the big boy that hit ball far. True. He is a six six four behemoth that can hit the ball a long way. And I mean, in theory, he's going to just pick up Reese Hoskins playing time. At least that's how I've have mapped this out in my brain. That that time last year where he was playing every day, he was hitting cleanup or sixth pretty much every start. Yeah, like that's an RBI spot. That's a great spot to be hitting in that fantastic lineup and that fantastic ballpark. Yeah, I would expect him to be like considering how much playing time he's probably going to get. I, I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable to say he's going to be like a 25 home run bat. Yeah, I feel like comfortably. Yeah. And then... Like I mean, Seth, Seth Brown without the steals. Yeah. And runs plus RBIs. You could, I mean, just RBIs in, in and of itself with the people that he has hitting in front of him, I would expect... I don't know. He could probably pretty easily clear 80 or 90 if he gets full-time yeah, playing think, time throughout the year. Think Seth Brown if he wasn't trapped in the confines of the Olympic Coliseum. Oh, God. And it's actually in a really, really good ballpark. Yeah. I didn't really realize how good of a ballpark Citizens Bank was until, like, this past year. For some, oh, yeah. for some reason, Dinger, I had in Dinger my head City. that it was just, like, average. No. Yeah. It's, very it's not quite the Great American Small Park, but it is very hitter-friendly. Heck, yeah. Uh, all right, so obviously related to relief pitchers, since we're going to be talking about them, we have to talk about Edwin Diaz. Uh, Do we? <sighs> I'm sorry, Schwabzy, but we do. For this, I know this causes you immense pain specifically, but for the sake <sighs> of our listeners, we should cover uh, what the implications of that are. So uh, David Robertson seems to be the, the likely candidate to slot in for saves, uh, at least at the outset of the year. I think that personally, I think that Adam Adovino, also a very good option. I think that, I think that uh, Adovino and Robertson will probably get a pretty even split of opportunities. Or I wouldn't be surprised if that. Um, I know that most projection systems have Robertson for 20-plus saves and Adovino for less than 10. I think it could be closer to like 10 to 15 for Adovino and like 15 to 20 for Robertson. Uh, the Mets are going to win enough games where there's going to be enough opportunities for those saves. So I think the likelihood of like second or third day in a row for Robertson pitching uh giving him the day off than going to Adovino isn't completely out of the question. And I think that Adovino could probably accrue saves that way. 
Yeah, and keeping in mind that there have been no announcements yet, and this is mostly guesswork on our part. It, it It's guesswork on everyone's part right now. True. A, a name that I want people to keep in mind as a Dark Horse saves candidate is Drew Smith, who has a really fun fastball slider combo. And, you know, is like a almost a decade younger than those other guys. So, you know, I, I like him as a dark host dark horse closer candidate do you think buck would want to go with the younger guy over the two older quote-unquote proven uh guys experienced guys so buck is i i think buck is viewed as an old school manager but he does you know he he's not old school to a fault i don't think he he's not yeah. old school beyond reason and for what it's worth, Drew Smith has had a fantastic spring with 11 strikeouts and two walks in six innings. So, you know, maybe maybe it might just be a pure committee. Like, Brooks Rayleigh might even figure into the save situations if, you know, a string of left-handers is coming up. That's the thing, too, is I, it's, I, th- I think it's just fully what the situation calls for, right? Um, kind of like you're saying, if it's going to be, like, two lefties that they're going to face, maybe Rayleigh does get the opportunity. Um, obviously, Jimmy Yakubonis. Rest. <sighs> don't Jimmy Yakubonis like could get. <laughs> don't don't take this opportunity. Just uh, Schwebzy taking this opportunity just to clown on me, which I appreciate. Uh, hey, you never know. All right, here's my bold take I, for twenty. Here's my bold take for twenty twenty three. Jimmy Yakubonis <laughs> is going to get no saves for the New York Mets. <laughs> hot take. Hot take. The hottest. Good of news. Takes. Good news is that. With Jimmy Yacobonis being on the Mets, Pete Alonso can no longer take him deep. It's true. It's convenient. Oh, maybe in which which did happen when he was on the Marlins and a a big favorite of Jordan. <laughs> I do. Jimmy Yacobonis. You know, Jimmy Yacobonis still had a great weighted earned strike rate last year. It's just that he gives up a lot of hard contact. Marlins pitcher man crushes for Jordan and Pete Alonso dingers. Name a better duo. I'll wait. God, talking about like, Braxton Garrett and Jimmy Yacobonis I really hate, here. I really hate that you're right about that. That's really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, but yes, yeah, so let's go back to you being miserable about uh, Edwin Diaz going down. Um, is there anyone else in that bullpen that you could see potentially vying for any save opportunities aside from, like you said, Drew Smith you wanted to bring up, but then I, I do think it's going to be basically Robertson and Adovino. Drew Smith may be a candidate. Is there anyone else interesting that could come out of nowhere, do you think? The back half of the Mets bullpen is not great. If okay. anyone does like just ascend to prominence suddenly, it would be probably Bryce Montes de Oca. I'm probably saying that wrong. But he's just got an electric arm, throws 100 easily. Uh, he's on the shelf right now with a stress reaction in his elbow, but he should not be out for too long. And... He's he's got a high leverage kind of arm, but he he's got like Tiger's reliever kind of control. So you know who who can say if he'll really be able to claim a uh, high leverage role? But yeah, he's he's got the arm to do it, and he's worth keeping an eye on. All right. Uh, well, okay. Let's move to one that might make you not necessarily happy, but it is a division rival. Uh, losing their best reliever. Um. Russell Iglesias going down with a shoulder issue. Um, that pretty much leaves the door open for AJ Minter, who I think is pretty far and away, clearly the best reliever behind Russell Iglesias in that bullpen. 
Um, yeah. For, I, look, he's still I available be, in my TGFPI league, which is crazy to me. Lucky. And I got to figure out what I'm going to bid to try to get AJ Mentor because I think those, like, I think saves was the one thing that I was, like, bottom half the league in in terms of projections after my draft. And I really want to steal a few of those if I can. Now, look, I, I contain multitudes. I can be sad that a human being is hurt, that, that, a, you know, that an electric arm is hurt. I can be sad yeah. about that while still being gleeful at the uh, Braves fans who are upset about it. It's bad for baseball, good for the Mets. Yeah, yeah. Essentially is what it comes down to. Um, there's not really a lot of clarity as to how long Iglesias is going to be out for, but he is going to start the season on the I.L., so I would say like maybe a safe estimate would be like, I don't know, two weeks of AJ Mitchell yeah. being like the closer is probably a safe bet, right? Um with that in mind, I mean AJ Minter could accrue four, maybe five saves if things shake out correctly. Uh in that first couple of weeks. It's a possibility. That's like very optimistic, obviously, but um a couple saves and maybe a win, something like that isn't completely out of the question. And I mean, I'm probably going to be willing to spend a decent chunk of my fab on mentor just because he's someone that I can keep on my roster. Cause if this shoulder issue for Iglesias continues to be like a persistent thing, cause shoulders can be very fickle. I mean, that could mean I get an incumbent closer for dirt cheap off the wire. Yeah. I mean, there's the school of thought that like the best lefty in the pen will very rarely be the closer, you know, unless you're Josh Hader. Because, you sure. know, they want the lefty to get the toughest left-handed bats out wherever that happens to be in the game. Yeah. And if you subscribe to that school of thought, then the Joe, Him- Joe Jimenez is there. <laughs> one of those uh, aforementioned Tigers relievers, but uh, a pretty good one. Uh, he, If he winds up getting the save opportunities, then suddenly he's the guy to get. So, the, again, this is similar to the Mets situation. This is speculation on, on our part. Minter is clearly the best reliever, but will he get used in safe situations? Yeah, maybe, probably, maybe not. It's like they have they have uh, Lucas Lutke and uh, Dylan Lee as other lefties in that bullpen too. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's the only lefty in the pen, which is why I think they would go to Minter. And I think that's why like Russ Resource has him listed as the closer with Jimenez as the setup uh, for the eighth. Um, I don't think it's out of the question that Jimenez is going to get some opportunities here and there, though. Maybe in the first couple of weeks. Um, but as far as like ratios go, like what was Minter's whip last year? Minter's whip was like exceptionally low. It was like point. Where is it? I gotta find it. Yeah, point nine one whip. Uh, That's pretty good. Walks per nine was less than two, which was the best of his career aside from his rookie season, and that was. I think 15 innings in his rookie season. So yeah, like I'm kind of like ruling that out as like a qualifying thing, but uh, strikeouts per nine was North of 12. Uh, So the ratios are going to be good. The strikeouts are going to be good. Um, I'm kind of fine. And like, obviously if you have, you're you're probably going to already have AJ Minter on a roster in any leagues that care about holds. Cause he's just like going to be a high leverage guy regardless. But yeah, if he's on the wire in a league, cause people didn't expect him to be closing the season or to start the season. I would spend a decent chunk of fab on him to pick him up and get those handful of saves that he could possibly get in the first couple weeks of the season. And obviously we wanted to see Rysel Iglesias come back healthy, but 
if he doesn't, Minter is going to be one of the most lucrative things that you can lucrative guys that you can target early in the season here. Yeah, and he's one of those guys that you can add and know that you're not going to be hurt, even if he doesn't get you quite what you want, which is those saves. He's still going to exactly. get you, you know, some clean innings and some strikeouts. Yep, ratios are good. Strikeouts are great. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, so, I think we should get the less fun part of this podcast out of the uh, way. Like I said, catchers are a bit of a hellscape after pick 300. It's very difficult to find value. There's a couple of people that I, I mean, I agree with Shrubsy's pick here. Obviously, I think we both are pretty high on him, and I think it helps that he is also first base eligible. And I think I mentioned this when we talked about our corner infield preview, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, Shrubsy, do you want to talk about uh, Christian Bethencourt? So I'm I'm not allowed to say what I want to say about the state of post 300 catchers because this is a family friendly podcast, allegedly. But Christian Bethencourt is basically my default pick. I I spent like an hour last night going through a bunch of other guys who are kind of like mildly interesting before looking at those other guys for an additional five seconds and going, no, this guy sucks. Like, the state of post-300 catchers is rough. You're either taking incredibly flawed hitters or total shots in the dark. You're taking mystery boxes. And there are mystery boxes that I like, but we'll get to those in a little bit. Those are the sorts of players that we can't really do a lot of analysis on since there's not a lot of data yet, so here we are, trapped and talking about Christian Betancourt for what feels like the dozenth time because he's at least mildly interesting. This is actually the second time that I've done a deep dive on Christian Bethencourt, so this is actually a good opportunity to look back on what I said about him back in June and see how things played out since then. I had come away from looking through his data in June with four main takeaways, so let's see what those were and where I'm at after three more months of playing time. His batted ball data was great, and that wasn't really being reflected in his stats, So when you've got a huge gap between your ex-WOBA and your WOBA, things can regress in one of two directions, right? They can either regress regress towards the WOBA or regress towards the ex-WOBA. Unfortunately, this went the bad way. Betancourt's rolling ex-WOBA was 394 on June 27th, and from that point forward, it was barely touch league average again, which league average is around 310. I was generally shocked by how hard Bethencourt hit the ball, as his rolling exit velo on June 27th was 95.5. That is so high. But that would be a high point, as he trended downwards for the rest of the year, ending again around league average. I said, at it, I said on that episode that I talked about him previously that I would be shocked if his K rate didn't rise, and unfortunately, it did rise. He wasn't striking out nearly enough considering his chase and whiff rates at the time, and sadly, it did course correct, sadly for both him and us. The one thing that I would say that changed for the better from June going forward was his batted ball distribution. I had previously described it as bad, but by the end of the year, it had pretty much just wound up suboptimal, which, you know, is still not great, but better than bad. He was previously hitting all of his fly balls to the opposite field, but by the end of the year, he kind of wound up with more of an all-fields approach, and that's not ideal for someone you want home runs out of, but he does have a ton of power to all fields when he gets a hold of one. Like, uh, Jordan and I were watching videos of Betancourt yesterday, 
and we saw him hit like a, a it was like a an inside fastball like 460 feet the uh, to to a right center as a righty it was kind of silly that's yeah, it's absurd to watch in real time like the the power that he has inside outing pitches honestly i'm not i, I can't remember another time that i've seen that but so seeing as the last three months of the season, even after a trade away from Oakland, were mostly disappointing. Why are we still in on him? Because I am still in on him. And it's be- it's because catchers stink. There are so few catchers after 300 that are worth a heck that this is the only one that isn't a mystery box that, that I care about in the slightest. He's the only one that fits the criteria that he's after 300. He's listed as the starter by roster resource, and he doesn't completely stink. The only guy that I might accept here as an exception is Jan Gomes, who has previously shown the ability to be a league average bat, and his only competition for playing time is Tucker Barnhart, who, while a lefty, is a terrible hitter. Barnhart's a good fielder, but you don't usually... I mean, honestly, this might be just one of those situations where both Barnhart and Gomes get 300 plate appearances and nobody is happy in the fantasy world. I'm giving Betancourt some slight extra credit here based on his organization. Because he had a rough second half after the trade, yes. But the Rays have taken flawed players before and made those players into the best versions of themselves. And the best version of Christian Betancourt is a clear starter in two catcher leagues. Even the flawed version of Christian Betancourt is, is worth rostering in a two catcher league. You know, he's definitely like one of the top 24 catchers in baseball offensively. I wish I had nicer things to say about him, since he is my my catcher two in TGFBI and probably another league or two. But honestly, all I can really say is that he is the most inspiring of what is a really bad bunch of catchers in this ADP range. My advice, get your second catcher before 300, honestly. Truly. Uh... <laughs> I waited pretty late to get mine, and I kind of regretted it. I let some guys slip, hoping that they would follow me, uh, and they did not. Uh, but I did actually end up reaching for both Yasmani Grandal and Eric Haas, who I think are both going to be pretty solid and will likely outperform their ADPs. I really like Yasmani, especially as a bounce-back candidate. Um, yeah. I like I like Christian Bethencourt a decent amount. And like you said, when you think about a league like TGFBI, where it's a two-catcher league, and you have 30 catchers rostered minimum, Bethancourt's easily worth rostering. Like you said, yes. he has a very clear starting role with the team. He's got a ton of pop. Like you said, his approach in terms of being all fields, not ideal for someone you want to get home runs for your squad, because that's what you're looking for out of him pretty much exclusively. Like the average is never going to be super great. Um, you just want those home runs and maybe some other counting stats. But I do like him as my second catcher in, TG, in like a TGFBI type league as well. I, I probably pronounced his last name like four different times over the course of that spiel, but it is Bethancourt. It is Bethancourt, yes. It is. You you are correct there. I, I just double-checked because I, I, I hear myself doing it as well, I'm saying the, it. But Well, it's like there's Unieski Bethancourt from, uh, from days past, so like the Bethancourt and Bethancourt thing can sometimes be confusing. Because I also, I think he is Bethancourt and then... Uh, and then Christian is Bethancourt. Yeah, Unieski doesn't have the H in his name. Yes, that's what I thought. So that's where I have gotten tripped up in the past. Uh, 
phonetically. Is that the right word? Yes. I am tripped up over the the simplest of things. So I mean, the 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 actual confusing ones are just insurmountable for me. <laughs> yeah, he is. So I'm trying to think. What what did, do you know? What um did we say? What uh Bethancourt's ADP was at the top? Because I just realized it's, I it's also like... don't have my guy's ADP written down. Even as underwhelming as he is, his ADP is basically just after 300. Last time, I, I think we checked yesterday, it was like 304. Yeah, yeah, double check that. Right. It is 304. Yep. Yeah. With a uh, max, with a min pick of 262. Oh, wow. Do you think that's, do you think that's because someone really believes in him? No, I think that's people who only have Reaching. one catcher, and they and they see the state of catcher, and they're like, "Oh God, I better get the one guy left that I actually like." Yeah, that's fair. Um, Which is, I I, I have a feeling couldn't be me. Yeah, I, I think a lot of drafters will find themselves in that same position, and if I find myself in that position, then Bethancourt is the guy. Bethancourt is the guy I reach for. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so I'm I'm going to talk about my guy a little bit, and I'm actually going to use it and parlay it into a way to have us kind of have a bit of a debate, if that's cool with you, Schwebs. I'm going to give you like a would you rather with my guy as well. So I debate will do my coward. deep dive. I will do my deep dive first, but we're going to take a quick commercial break. Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we're back. So... Talking about my catcher deep dive, it's someone that I did a deep dive on last year and I talked about on the uh, post-350 mock draft with the folks from Keeper Cut and on the wire that we did uh, last week, and that's Jorge Alfaro. Um, Kind of the same spiel that I had for Alfaro 
That's one I talked about him previously pretty much every single time. He's got a really unique power-speed combo that you do not find very often at the catcher position. He's a really, really good second catcher for that reason, I think. He's someone that could, in theory, provide you 10-plus home runs and like a handful of steals, which is something you don't see. There's a few guys behind the plate, like JT Real Muto, who can give you some stolen bases, but um, not something that you find, especially this late in a draft. Uh, the downside about Alfaro simply from a playing time perspective, is that he's currently projected to be a weak side platoon guy for the Red Sox uh, with Reese McGuire uh, as a left-handed hitter facing righties this year. I will say, though, the splits for Alfaro, at least last year, were not that bad uh, righty on righty, so I'm not like super concerned, and I think he's going to probably get more plate appearances than he's projected for right now. I think he's only projected for like 200. I think it's going to be more of an even split in playing time between those two. Um. The story for Alfaro's kind of been the same throughout his entire career. He does most of his damage on fastballs, but he gets beat a ton on breaking and off-speed pitches. Like, he does not hit them very well. He strikes out a whole bunch. That strikeout rate's going to be north of 30%. In all likelihood, it's been like that for his entire career. The walk rate's going to be right around 5% or less. Uh, Also not that great. But that being said, when he makes contact with the ball, so many of his hits go for extra bases. And he's looked excellent so far this spring. So last year as well, he started pulling the ball more and had the lowest ground ball rate of his career. He wasn't lifting it enough to really affect how many home runs he was hitting, but he was getting a ton of uh, extra base hits, which is really, really encouraging. So far, I believe he is 11 for 21 in spring training. He's got, let me check here. Yeah, two home runs, three, uh, three doubles, and only six strikeouts. In 23 plate appearances, which is a 26-ish percent strikeout rate, 26 and a half, something like that. So it's below 30, which is encouraging. Obviously, <laughs> it's an incredibly small sample size. But um, the fact that he's getting so many of his hits go for extra bases is super encouraging. Also, in terms of the stolen base upside, I don't have it in front of me. I want to say he's like 88th percentile in sprint speed as a catcher, which is absurd because he's like 6'4", 230. He's a big boy. He is a very big boy. Um, so yeah, in terms of having a second catcher in your 15-team leagues or any of your two-catcher leagues, I really don't think Alfaro is a bad option. Obviously, if it's a daily lineups league and you can tool your lineup a little bit uh, more intricately, it's going to be much more valuable. But Alfaro, all in all, I think it'd be like, Maybe with the new stolen base rules, like he could be like a 10 and 10 guy, something like that. If he gets on base enough, I don't know if that's going to happen or not just because the walk rate's so low. Uh, but the extra base hits are going to be there. I think that the RBI opportunities are going to be there when he's in the lineup. So I do like him quite a bit. I dig it. I mean, he's definitely the toolsiest catcher down in this range, probably. Yes. <laughs> definitely, probably. Definitely, probably, maybe. You know. Although, you know. Christian Bethencourt's pretty fast too. He stole he stole a handful of bags last year. He did actually, yeah. So okay, here here's Which the is... would you rather that I wanted to propose oh, though? Okay, because I did lead with that previously. So I did say obviously strong side platoon Reese McGuire also not having a bad spring um, is probably going to get slightly like a little bit more in terms of plate appearances over Alfaro unless Alfaro just has like a monster year and they have no choice but to put him in the lineup more often which one of the those two would you rather roster because right now their adp is like six picks apart and i think uh 
Maguire is going a few picks ahead of Alfaro, if I'm not mistaken. Reese Maguire has like 12 career home runs. Sure. In like 675 plate appearances. Uh, he, he just does like he doesn't have enough thump or do anything else to really be a fantasy asset. I think he's a fine like second or third division real life catcher, but sure. in fan in fantasy there is nothing to chase here. Just absolutely nothing. He's a bad he's a Babip driven average bat for a catcher, and that's just eh. I'm trying to see what Alfaro's projections look like this year. So Alfaro is projecting for let's see. I mean, that projections aren't great, honestly. I mean, uh, maybe, maybe what I said is more of an indictment of Maguire than an endorsement of Alfaro, but I do like Alfaro a good bit better than Maguire, if for no other reason than the very loud tools. Where is Maguire's projections? I mean, just from a playing time perspective, they haven't projected for more counting stats. It's not that many more. It's actually pretty close now that I look at it, but I don't know. I still think Alfaro gets probably like 300 plate appearances here and could put up 10 home runs in that time. Maybe like five yeah. stolen bases, which isn't a, I mean, I, I, we'll take that from a second catcher. I think it's going to be a similar situation to what I talked about before with Jan Gomes and Tucker Barnhart. They're oh, going to both, they're going to roughly split the time and no one's going to be happy in the fantasy world. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. Uh, so Schwebzy. We did have we did put out the call for mailbag questions. We got one, uh, so let's cover this while we're talking about catchers. Uh, it's from Little Piranha from the PL Discord server. Do I care about Yaner Diaz in a two catcher league? He is catcher eligible on ESPN and CBS. Only has util uh, eligibility, I believe, on NFBC and a couple other platforms right now. Uh, Yaner Diaz, for those that are unaware, would be the the heir to the catcher position in Houston should Martin Maldonado be cast aside. Um, Shrebzy, how do you feel about Yaner Diaz? I, I want to care about Yaner Diaz. I really yeah. do. I, w- I want him to make the team and be good and get played appearances. But I just don't really see it happening because of the Astros astroing. True. Like how many, how, like, you know, when, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. I, I, I think that's uh, more, more of like an Instagram inspirational post than a, a baseball thing, but it applies here <laughs> sure. too. Yeah. Uh, the Astros have proven time and time again that they just love Maldonado. Yeah. I wish I loved anything like the Astros loved Martin Maldonado. I mean, his defense is incredible. That's the thing. Like his it defense is, is wonderful. It He's is. great at calling games. Um, Yeah. And Diaz is a strong hit tool prospect with, you know, decent enough power, average to above average, according to Prospects Live. But, you know, I, I just, I don't see the Astros kicking Maldonado to the curb. Like, I don't know, ever. He's, uh, he's 36 now. He's got the same bad bat that he's always had. And right now, Roster Resource doesn't even have Yaner Diaz as the backup catcher. They what who they have there is the other catcher prospect for the Astros, Corey Lee, who is actually having a pretty strong, strong spring training. Uh, and this is a lot of words just to say that I 
want to like Yander Diaz, but I don't think he's going to have much of a role this year, you know, it, without an injury, maybe. Yeah, that's kind of essentially my feelings on the whole thing. Also, Dusty Baker is very much like you said, uh, is very much kind of like what you hinted at with the fact that they're not going to stray away from Maldonado if they haven't already. Dusty Baker is very much one to stick with his guys. He's very he's very vanilla when it comes to setting his lineups. They're always pretty much the same across the board. Uh, and Maldonado is going, going to be in there as many days as he can be. Uh, I don't really, yeah, it's I don't really care about Yainer. I don't care about Yainer Diaz this year. Yeah, um, it's encouraging that they're giving him a long look in spring training. Like he's got the most played appearances of any catcher for their team. Yep. And, you know, he's doing well enough. He's got that classic lower OBP than batting average because he hasn't walked yet. But yeah, he's, he's doing okay he he's definitely not forcing his way onto the team yeah for sure um so yeah i guess i would i in in theory i think right now obviously i would care more about Corey lee than i would yiner diaz based on performances so far but when asking if i care about Corey lee or not i would refer you back to the whole astros loving martin maldonado thing correct yes uh so that's essentially where we're at with that one. I'm probably, yeah, I'm, I'm not super interested in Yainer Diaz, personally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are a handful of other, I, I called them mystery box prospects before, where these are yes. catchers going after 300 who could get playing time this year, but we don't know how much playing time they'll get, and, you know, it's hard to say if they'll be good or not at this point in time. And though I, I, I think the three most prominent players in that category are in, in order of my preference Andy Rodriguez, Bo Naylor, and Luis Campisano. Yes. Uh, do do you do you rank them any differently? How how do you feel about those three? Is that I it, it, so you said Bo Naylor, Andy and then Campisano? Andy, Bo, then Campisano. Andy, Bo, Campisano, that's how you would rank them. I would say that I'm yeah. probably oh, I'm probably the same. I think that for me, uh, it's like Bo and Andy are like one A one B. Um, so I I think Mike Zunino is more likely to hold on to a starting job than Austin Hedges. It's probably fair. It's probably fair. Um, but that's uh, that's like a tiebreaker for me there. Yeah, I just I I think I maybe see. Oh man, that's hard. Yeah, I don't know. I can't really. Pre- Obviously, like we're, again, we're doing a lot of guesswork here. We're we're using our uh, best educated guesses. I feel like because the Guardians are more likely to compete, they would want Bo up sooner, and would give him playing time sooner, as opposed to the Pirates, who are not really thought to be in contention for. The NL Central at all, they might hold off on bringing Andy Rodriguez up and giving him opportunities. That's the hard part too. I really don't know. Bo Naylor played in the WBC. Yes, and there were times when I was watching him where I was like, he is absolutely not ready to be like a a defensive big league catcher. And then there were other times where he made just outstanding plays. And I wonder if there's like some consistency to iron out there. Just seasoning, just like young a young guy. Just like finding finding a groove and getting consistent, yeah, I could see that. Like he made some um, fantastic throws, but also let a lot of balls get by that I didn't think should have gotten by. Probably, yeah. Um, 
yeah, it's tough to say. I don't, I don't know where to go between those two. I do think that they're, as far as ceiling for this year, I think they have higher ceilings than like Luis Camposano does. But I think Luis Camposano has a much clearer path to actually playing, yeah. and he's had a good spring so far. Yeah, he has. Um, one other thing to mention about Andy Rodriguez, which further pushes him uh, to number one on my little list here, is that he's got he's going to have multi position eligibility because the Pirates play him everywhere. They play him at second base, at catcher, I believe outfield also. I could oh, be making that wrinkle. up. I, I gotta double I have to double check that. I was gonna say if that's being made up or if that's not made up, that's a nice little wrinkle that I didn't actually know about. Definitely um, second base. He, he they definitely have played him at second base also. Okay, so, I mean, second base uh, is in play. That that makes him like infinitely more interesting to me, and it would push him above yes. Bo pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was not making that up. Thank, thankfully, uh, to catcher, <laughs> left field, second base is how he's listed on Fangraphs. Oh wow. Okay. Well, that makes him super interesting then. Uh, also, switch hitter, and and, uh, in what I think is the strongest argument for him, he's a former Mets prospect who they traded away for basically nothing, which means he's basically guaranteed to succeed. I'm sorry. For those who don't know, Andy Rodriguez, current top 30 prospect pretty much universally, was part of the Joe Musgrove trade. And if if you'll remember, the only thing the Mets got in that trade was Joey Lucchese. (laughs) R.I.P. Schwebs. R.I.P. Mets. (laughs) Oh, that's terrible. (sighs) We should just, we should, Um, I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to do merch at any point, we really just need to slap your face with the pain thing on it. Like if that's my a, only just legacy, a plain, just a plain black T-shirt with that tweet, and that's it. If that's my only legacy, this was all worth it. Truly, uh, <laughs> can we? Can, uh, who is there? Anyone, anyone else uh, catcher wise that we want to cover at all? Yeah, I mean, if you if you want someone boring but capable, I mentioned previously, Jan Gomes, I think can be a league average bat, and then there's Austin Nola who is having a really strong spring and is trying to fight Campusano off, so I'm, I'm sure he's motivated to be good. A lot of his struggles last year seem to be related to injuries, so we were big on Austin Nola last year, so he is probably the second... The, the, I, I am the second most interested in him out of all the veteran catchers past 300. I feel like Nola just always has such a solid average floor that he doesn't hurt you. He's boring. He is so boring. Yeah. But is not going to hurt you really in like average or anything like that. He's not going to be a drain. He's just going to very, very lightly compile. And that's pretty much it. And he can sit in that second catcher spot. Very safe. Um, But yeah. All right. Let's go to the more fun part of this. Uh, But we're going to do that right after this ad break. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. 
That's N-O-O-M dot com to sign up for your trial today. Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com to sign up for your trial today. All right, and we're back. So, Schwabzi, let's talk about relievers, which is the infinitely more entertaining part of this episode for sure, saving the best for last. Uh, why don't you take it away with your pick? Yes, I've got to, I've got a, a, a little bit of story time for you guys. This is a I'm story of two okay, relievers. Wait, okay, everyone, everyone, pull out your carpet squares. <laughs> Does everyone have their juice boxes and 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 apple slices? All right, just, Mr. Schwebs, he's going to tell a story. I prefer nap time, but story time, close second. So this is a story of two relievers. One of these relievers is fastball dominant. He throws his fastball seventy percent of the time, which is twelfth most among relievers, qualified relievers. I'm just going to make it this easy and let you guys know that none of the people ahead of him in fastball usage are very good. You might be able to get away with 70% fastballs if you've got a nuclear Spencer Strider or Jacob deGrom-esque fastball, but it's generally not a recipe for success. This reliever does not have a nuclear fastball. I think it can be described as average at best. And what does he do the other 30% of the time? Well, he has a slider that doesn't get swinging strikes, and he has a changeup that is slightly above average because he throws it in the zone a lot, and he throws it pretty hard. It's good good for contact suppression. This underwhelming pitcher that I've described is Carlos Estevez, the presumptive closer for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. The only way that I'm going to be even slightly excited by Carlos Estevez is if he dramatically changes his pitch mix now that he's away from cores, maybe considerably upping his changeup usage. If he stays as is, he looks to me like a perfectly cromulent middle reliever at best, not a closer. And I mentioned changing his pitch mix. When he pitched for Colorado and he pitched on the road, he still threw his fastball 71% of the time. So I am not super, uh, I, I don't really believe that he's going to change his pitch mix that much. And we don't, I, I don't really think of LA as a strong pitching development organization. So I don't know that they will, you know, coach him in the, in the right direction. To continue story time. I'm going to tell you about a different pitcher. This pitcher is totally unique in baseball. He's got such a funky delivery that Pitching Ninja's nickname for him is the Human Glitch. We talk a lot about late-round pitchers kind of fitting the same archetype of mediocre fastball, really interesting breaking stuff. Well, what if we built a reliever out of that same archetype and then added in an insane amount of deception and funk? We are coming off of a season where 17 players had at least 20 saves. 
this pitcher had a better FIP than 10 of them. He doesn't put up gaudy strikeout numbers like a lot of big-time closers, but he got the job done last year. I am talking about Jimmy Herget. What Herget has working for his favor is a whole lot of mid going on in the rest of the Angels' bullpen. I've been pretty high on the Angels as a team this year, but anytime I talk about them, it's always with the caveat that if they do wind up being bad again, it's probably going to be because of the bullpen. This is not an electric collection of arms, and the Angels, as I said, haven't really shown a propensity to produce good relievers out of nowhere like good teams seem to do these days. It's easy to chalk Herget's success up to smoke and mirrors, because it kind of is smoke and mirrors, but this is the kind of smoke and mirrors that is intentional. I honestly can't, like, verbally do his delivery justice. I would highly recommend looking up some video of Jimmy Herget, because it's an experience. He throws it sidearm, and the ball just explodes out of his hand, seemingly very at odds with the effort he appears to be exerting. Generally, uh, so Herget gets a ton of called strikes, and generally when a pitcher gets a lot of called strikes, I'm worried about the sustainability of their approach. But with Herget, he's just so darn weird that I want to believe that this can continue. His approach is to get ahead with his slider and sinker, and while the sinker isn't fantastic, it does its job, it gets strikes, he avoids the middle of the zone, and he prevents big damage. The slider, on the other hand, gets thrown in the zone a lot and gets a 98th percentile called strike rate among relievers, uh, relievers, sliders, with an 84th percentile CSW. He combines those strike getters with a fantastic put-away pitch in his curveball that gets crazy horizontal movement, it suppresses hard contact, and it gets a lot of swings and misses. It's got all you could want in a put-away pitch. So, when you put it all together, it's an average sinker, two well-above-average breakers, and he throws all three of those about 30% of the time, so the batter can never sit on any one pitch while they have to deal with their one-plate appearance of the game against him, and they have to deal with his herky-jerky delivery, and, you know, it may be the only time that they see him and his weirdness all year. I don't always buy the sustainability of pitchers who get by on deception, but I kind of buy it a bit more when it's coming in one-inning chunks, and it might be the only time the batter sees the guy all year. For the too-long-didn't-read version of all this is that Carlos Estevez is not great, Jimmy Herget is good, and I think he's just underrated kind of due to his stuff. Like, he, he doesn't have the typical closer profile, but if he got the best results of any Angels reliever this year, I would be, I would be surprised exactly zero. I love how weird he is so much, but also, as I talked about before we started recording this, I am so much on the Ben Joyce hype train. Now there, that's a stereotypical closer repertoire. Yes. Uh, Joyce, I think was I confirmed clocked at 104 during spring training on a stadium gun. So Ben Ben Joyce is a recent Angels draftee. He was kind of a, a legend in college pitching circles because he just had such insane velocity. He threw like 105. He was at Tennessee. If Tennessee I or Texas? Correctly. 
one or the other. I think he was at Tennessee. Anyways, um, Ben Joyce throws absolute flames. It's absurd. Uh, I think he's averaging like nine walks per nine right now. Um, and the whip is probably not going to be good if he eventually does get called up and becomes. The, there's a lot of people that think he's going to be the closer before the end of the year for the Angels, which I agree with and I'm on board with. Um, the command obviously is the biggest thing for him. If he's going to walk the world, it's not really going to matter how fast he throws. Um, that said, for now, I do like Jimmy. Uh, is it Herget or Herget? Because I just been thought about her- this. I've been going with Herget, and that probably means it's wrong. I'm looking at as we right both scramble to baseball reference. It's Herget. Forget. Yeah. Like forget. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. So it's uh, it's Jimmy Herget. Um so I, I he's just so goofy and weird. I think I just enjoy him because he's like a funky throwing he's the lefty, right? Uh no, he's a righty. He's a he righty. feels like he should be a lefty. Oh though. wait, no, yeah, yeah, he's a righty. Okay, uh, yeah, his delivery is so weird and neat, and it, like you said, just it seems like against all odds with his delivery that he throws like he does. Uh, the yeah, slider it doesn't is so seem fun. like it doesn't seem like a ninety-three mile an hour pitch should come out of that delivery. No, not at all. Um, and all the, yeah, like you said, all the peripheral data uh, underlying. His performances looks really, really good, too. Uh, had a great year last year. Put up over two war as a reliever, which is always solid. Um, I, I do like him better than Estevez. Um, so I would much rather draft uh, Jimmy Herget. So the, the Angels GM has said, like, like a month ago, that Estevez would get a look as the closer. But Estevez has been miserable in spring training like i like, yeah. i think he walks i think so far he's walked like 10 guys in five innings or something um i i don't know if that will have lost him his look but you know herget is has been his usual solid sell so after ending the year as the closer last year i'm kind of hoping that herget can just pick up where he left off i can all right uh all right, so I want to talk about my reliever. I don't think this is necessarily someone that's going to be in the market for saves, per se. This is more of a guy that's going to be really valuable, I think, in holds leagues. Uh, and also just as someone who could probably vulture maybe a save here or there throughout the year, but then get a ton of holds, maybe some wins as well. And it's someone that I talked about also on the post-350 mock draft episode of Keeper Cut that we did with the folks over there, uh, Pete and Chad, and also... Adam from on the wire. Uh, and that's Caleb Thielbar. Because uh, I had originally <laughs> drafted Joe Mantiply in that draft, and then I just chose to uh, go rogue and not talk about Joe Mantiply at all because I actually don't like him that much anymore because he's had a pretty poor performance <laughs> so far this spring. Uh, he's an all star. He is an all star from last year because every team needs to have at least one. <laughs> uh, but no, I brought up Thielbar on Keeper Cut as someone I really liked. He doesn't have a clear opportunity. Uh, is going to vulture, like I said, some of these wins, maybe some saves here and there. Um, the thing that I really like about him, he's going to give you a really solid ERA, I believe, and also great ratios. Thielbar is just such a cool story from just a general, not even like a fantasy perspective, just a general baseball perspective. He made his Major League debut in 2013, pitched for the Twins uh, from 2013 to 2015, and then basically bounced around to various independent and minor league teams uh 
in 2019, he became a pitching coach at a D2 school in South Dakota at Augustana University. And then later that year, he's like, okay, I'm going to give it another go. I'm going to go back. Uh, he re-signed with the Twins on a minor league deal. And then after working with the folks at Driveline over the past few years, he's come back with a vengeance. He's now 35, and he's throwing 93 with a killer sweeper and a curveball to complement it after being basically a sinker slider guy when he came into the league, only throwing around like 90-91. Um, last year, he had the strongest season of his career. He put up a K per nine of over 12, and his ex-woba was at like one point, his rolling ex-woba, I should say, at one point last season was like 180. Like the second half of his season was absolutely nuts. He had a blip early on in like the first third of the season that was a little bit rough, and then after that, he was just absolutely killer. Um, he also carried a healthy 25.3 uh, K minus base on ball percentage, which is like far and away the best of his career over a full season. He's like the very, like the most prototypical quote unquote, he went to driveline player in just so many aspects. Uh, being a classic, like sinker slider, lefty reliever, kind of like along the lines of like Aaron bummer or Zach Britton, except he didn't throw quite as hard as those guys. Uh, those are actually two guys that I liked a lot in the past for various reasons, but that's beside the point. He completely retooled his arsenal after working with those folks at driveline, which is super exciting to see. Um, beyond that, he didn't just retool his arsenal. He just continues to work to improve it. Um, and it's clear, like he's continued to gain velocity since 2020 when he reentered the league. And now he's sitting at like 93, 94 ish, which is so wild to think about. Cause he's going to be 36 years old coming into this season. Um, there's a lot of competition within that bullpen for high leverage innings. Obviously, you have Giovanni Moran and uh, Johan Duran, who are both in there. There's a few other arms that are really notable. Griffin Jacks is now in the bullpen there. Um, but the thing is, I think that with Thielbar, his stuff is so good. He's got three pitches. His fastball sweeper and the curveball all have CSWs of over 30%. He's going to provide excellent ratios and strikeout tallies. He's going to vulture some wins here and there. And then, like I said before, saves holds leagues. I think he's a super, super good value. Um, I'm all about targeting him in any AL-only leagues and 15-plus team leagues where saves and, saves and holds matter. And I think he's going to be a solid holds guy pretty much for the entire season. Like, he only got, I think, 17 or 18 last year. He's probably going to have, like, 30-plus this year. I love it. Like, obviously, you know, not everyone is in the same type of leagues. So... If you are in a saves only league, unless it's a super deep league where middle reliever and ratio, middle relievers with good ratios and Ks are valuable, you yeah. can probably safely ignore Thielbar. But the second holds come into play, this is a guy you want to roster. Yeah, he's excellent. Shubsy, uh, I'm going to tell you this in confidence because we're recording right now. He's available in the one of the dynasty leagues that we're in together. And he's on the wire, so I'm going to go pick him up right now. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. <laughs> oh, the one we're competing in. Oh, that one. Yes. I would never do that to you. You're gonna, How do you feel gonna... about Brett Beatty for Caleb Thielbar? I will ruin you. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so there's other relievers that I think are interesting. Uh, I was looking at the weighted earn strikes rate leaderboard. I dropped the threshold down to like 200 pitches just to get the folks who maybe didn't have that much volume last year in the mix uh and there's some other names that i found really neat there's one that i almost talked about this episode which is garrett clevenger someone that was sniped for me in the uh 
keeper cut on the wire th- post 350 mock that we did. Uh, he had a 35.51% weighted earned strike rate last year, and that was good for, I think, fifth out of all relievers, if I'm not mistaken, which is right alongside names like, uh, like he was just below Andres Munoz. He was right with like Pete Fairbanks and Jason Adam, also of the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, this is another guy like in saves hold leagues. You should absolutely have Clevenger. He's going to be able to pitch high leverage innings for the Rays this year. Very similar profile, honestly, to Thielbar, like a guy who throws like 94, 95 ish with a four seam and it's got a good uh slider to go with it. Uh so I like him a decent amount as well. Um one that Schwabzi doesn't like very much because he wants Trevor May to be closing games in Oakland is That's uh Danny not the Jimenez. only reason. You you wanna upset me, I know, it's fine. Well, yeah, that too. That's, That's too, the main yeah. thing. But no, I still I still believe in Danny Jimenez. He's, his ADP is 485-ish right now. I still think he's going to get like 10-plus saves for the A's this year between getting like fringe opportunities before Trevor May inevitably gets dealt to another team for value. Um, the slider is really good. It's just like the fastball, he just needs to locate so much better. He leaves it belt high so often. If he elevates his fastball, even though it's not an exceptional fastball, I think he's going to be a much better pitcher. Um, I hope he can make that adjustment. Um. And then, yeah, another person that I put down here, but we already talked about earlier in the episode due to the Edwin Diaz injury is Adam Adovino. He's still awesome, and his ADP is 512. Like I said before, I think he could be like a 10 to 15 save guy sharing the load with David Robertson. Yeah, definitely co-sign on Adovino. He's still got it. He's another another driveline guy. Very, very big into the uh, pitch development and has reinvented himself after some off years in Colorado. Uh, there are a few guys that I wanted to bring up before we uh, we we call it an episode. So James Karinchak, in in the aftermath of Edwin Diaz's injury, like the top tier of closer is Class A, and that's it. That's the entire top tier. Yep. And I almost think that at this point, having having Class A means you kind of have to handcuff him. I feel like we almost have to go fantasy football here and handcuff our top running back. Like closers are in such a volatile state and they're such a valuable commodity. If I was a class A manager that invested a high pick in him, I would strongly consider using one of my late picks on Karen check. And if you're not a class A owner, a class A manager, then Karen check is still going to pile up the strikeouts for you. And you know, when, when he's right and not walking everybody, he will also put up pretty good ratios. He does have his bouts of inconsistency, but is a generally pretty pretty fantastic reliever. Then there's Brizdar Gratterall. I don't know about you, Jordan, but I have absolutely no idea what the Dodgers plan on doing with their bullpen. Not a thing. Everyone knows what they want Dave Roberts to do. I feel like it's just going to be, knowing them, it's just going to be a committee thing. Yeah, I want Evan Phillips to be the closer. Evan Phillips has said Evan Phillips wants to be the closer. Uh, David Roberts, Dave Roberts, the last, the last thing that I could Using find that he said. Using his full government name, <laughs> David. David Anthony Roberts, I don't know what his middle name is, but last I heard from him is that we, or actually, I don't even think this was from him. I think this was like speculation from like Roto World or something, but speculation was that Gratterall and Daniel Hudson might get clo- uh, save opportunities. Hudson's currently hurt, but 
Evan Phillips has jumped into like the top 280p. That I think that calls for some zagging while the others zig or vice versa. We we know what we're getting with Gratterall. He's got an electric arm. He looks like he's throwing catch and throws 102. He doesn't strike out nearly as many people as you would expect him to. And I would call his kind of his whole career kind of a disappointment so far based on his stuff. But he gets outs. And if he is part of that committee, you know, it's a committee for a team that's going to win at least, yeah, probably like 90 games plus. So, you know, he if he's going to get saves, he kind of demands to be rostered. Yeah, I did uh, I'm, I'm kind um, of... I, I'm on the fence whether I prefer Gratterall or a Hudson Stash. I mm-hmm. haven't decided which of those I prefer right now. I think maybe it depends on what the rest of my bullpen looks like and how, you know, how... <laughs> how up how high upside i want to go true i mean I, I know that we talked about this briefly with mikey i don't know if it was on the podcast or not michael Ahedo. obviously we have to bring him up every episode it's uh the obligatory mention of mikey but oh uh, also yancy hi yancy oh yeah hi yance we haven't said hi to you yet can't believe we, um can't believe we didn't bring him up so close we're, we're like right at the end of the episode too dang um but mikey was talking about how gradual kind of has a very steep fastball because like when you, when you say that he has like this very like low effort, uh, release, right. He doesn't get down the mound super well. So because of that, his fastball has a very steep angle because he isn't getting like a ton of extension. Right. He's not like, he doesn't take a big step off the mound. It's all like trunk rotation that generates all his power. Exactly. So, uh, it almost creates a steeper fastball, which I think benefits him uh, from that aspect. I don't know. I think between the Hudson and Gratterall thing, I am more keen on taking Gratterall, at least right now, because he's not just going to be complete. I don't. I don't know how I feel about stashing relievers. Well, you. You. What. What you do is you pick up Hudson, stick him on your IL, and then pick up Gratterall. So you have both. If Why not if both? you have IL spots. Because like if you're an NFBC, you don't get IL spots. Right. So can't, if your league has those, there. then yeah, you can take advantage of those. There's obviously like many ways that you can cheese IL spots in in leagues like that. But that's a, a strategy and, thing. But then moving on to another bullpen where we have no idea what's going on. We're going to Arizona. <sighs> where Jordan has soured on Joe Mantiply. Yeah, he's not had a good spring, man. I don't know. But the Diamondbacks have brought in former major leaguer and most recently was was McGuff in the NPB or where where did McGuff play? I believe he was in the NPB. I don't think he was well, KBO. Not in the majors. So they they they've brought Scott McGuff back to the majors for the first time since 2015. And he is a completely new pitcher and he has done really well in spring training so far. And honestly, if you were to just choose a closer based on spring training merits, which I don't think is the best strategy, but who knows what the Diamondbacks are going to do. You would pick McGuff. He's been really good in spring training. I I would have said that this was a toss up between him and Mantiply, but Mantiply has really not looked good so far. Yeah. Um, um, so I, he did play in MPB, wish... by the way. Okay, good. I had that right. Yeah, for the Tokyo Yakult Swallows. I kind of wish that McGuff went to like a Chicago team 
Okay, but to be fair, if you signed in Chicago, like if you signed, if he signed with the Cubs, that would make his well, <laughs> situation no, no, just this as has, unclear. No, it has nothing to nothing to do with on the field stuff. I just want to say Scott McGuff, Chicago, Illinois, six zero six five two. I have no clue what you're talking about. Oh, I, I'm very old. I'm sorry. That's what that is. That is the Scruff McGruff jingle. Wow. Jordan, Jordan is this Jordan is, like is a baby. the first time that I've really noticed our uh, age gap. <laughs> it's not a big one by Lit- any means, but it's still a gap. Lit- and it's like that was something that was not uh, like that's one. That's like one memory that isn't stored in a box deep in the recesses of my brain. Back in Listeners, one of like, if you are 30 back folds. If you are 35 or older like myself, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you're younger than that, sorry to waste your time. Good God. Oh, <laughs> oh this is incredible. I'll send you uh, the YouTube link later, Jordan. It's very rare that I don't get a reference, though. That's the crazy part. That's because this, this, that's a pre-internet reference is why you don't get that one. Oh, that makes sense to a terminal, terminally online guy. Over here checking in. Uh, all right. Last one that we want to talk about here, Shrubs, you want to bring up Trevor May. Uh, it, it says here, uh, just because it will make Jordan upset. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Trevor May notes. is going to be. <laughs> I think Trevor May is going to be the closer in Oakland, not just because it will make Jordan upset, but because they gave him a lot of money and Oakland doesn't like giving people a lot of money. So I, I, I think in a closer situation where we are not sure of the outcome, a lot of times you can just follow the money. and. Yeah, that's that's really all I'm doing here. Also, uh, no one in the Oakland A's bullpen has had a really good spring, but Trevor May has struck out a ton of batters, and you know that's that's kind of a good sign, even if he has given up some runs. Being in the uh, Oakland Coliseum will help. His uh, kind of little little bit of a home run issue that he's got, but yeah, I I think Trevor May is might might be like the thirty fifth or fortieth reliever off the board, even in a a, a standard league. But I, you know, he'll he'll get you some saves. I think early in the year, maybe maybe for a good chunk of the year. I would say that I dig it, but I don't. Danny Jimenez supremacy. Justin Timberlake said it best when asked who the Oakland A's closer would be. It's gonna be May. Yeah, we get the joke. <laughs> we understood that reference. All right, that'll be right, it look, for this week's episode in the deep. Get this man out of here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. We appreciate it. Uh, we're, we're doing a really bad job recently of pimping our um, Twitter pages and uh, the fact that we have like a mailbag that people can send stuff to. So I'm going to do that here at the end of the episode while everyone's already tuned out because we're too busy being online. Uh, you can follow us at our shared Twitter account. That's going to be at in the deep PL. You can also follow us individually at Schwebzy for Schwebzy. That's S-H-W-E-B-S-I and at bunt singles for myself if you want to submit mailbag questions we do have a pinned tweet on our twitter page that you can send that to also if you want you can email us at in the deep pl at gmail.com uh and we will see y'all oh. next week oh and wait so n- next week we don't totally know what we're doing next week because we're our next episode is going to record on what it, it's going to be the march 31st day. which is the yeah the second day of the season so we're not going to have anything to talk about yet so Use the things Jordan just mentioned. Go drop us a line, send us a mailbag question, and uh, you know we, you, it might be featured on the next episode because we we need you to give us content because we don't know what the heck to do at that time of year. Honestly, if it if even if it's just like not fantasy baseball related, just send us a question so we can talk about it. I would be down for that too. If we just have like a goof off episode a little bit, get to know us as people. Yeah. You know, 
for anyone who's actually made it this far, which if you did, thank you, and I'm sorry. Yes. If anyone wants to like profess their love for me secretly through through mailbag, <laughs> feel free. This is how I meet my partner. Is through the mailbag of the In the Deep podcast. I'm not I'm not ready to give you up. Like Rick Astley. Never. In the deep. Bye friends. Bye.